Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for coming over to Satiate today, the Boulder Nutrition Podcast. I am Sue Van Rays, your host and founder of Boulder Nutrition here in Boulder, Colorado, where I specialize in women's health, functional nutrition, digestive repair, and food psychology. I also lead women's wellness retreats both locally and internationally. You can find out all about my work at bouldernutrition.com. My intention with Satiate is to provide you with practices, nutritional insights, inspiration, and stories to satiate your body, mind, and soul. I hope you enjoy this episode of Satiate. Well, I am so excited today to have a very special guest on the Satiate podcast. And it's always amazing to have people that we can be inspired by and learn from their journeys. It's one of the things that I think humans respond so well to is sharing our stories and learning from each other's stories. And we have such an amazing person, an amazing story today to share with you on the podcast. So I want to take a moment to introduce our guest. And I really hope that you can all learn from her and be inspired by her just the way that many other people around the planet have been. And so today we have special guest Betsy Hartley. And Betsy woke up one day at 400 pounds and a type 2 diabetic and simply said, I am going to do things differently starting now. Since then, she has lost over half her body weight and reversed her type 2 diabetes. She's running ultra marathons, living a life of openness in regards to her issues, specifically binge eating disorder, and bringing hope to many others who battle in the dark and feel hopeless and alone. Betsy also started Novo Vritras, which means honest change, with Spencer Newell, another incredibly inspiring person who recently wrote a book about his alcohol and addiction journey. Between the two of them, they help and nurture others along their life journeys that are often filled with regret, shame, and despair. Betsy is the first to admit that her journey is ongoing. On her popular blog, All Bets Are Off 392, she recently went public about how her binge eating disorder reared its ugly head again late last year. Betsy decided to come forth with this because she knows the power of bringing the tough stuff into the open. If we can't admit our own struggles, how can we ever move forward? And further, how can we help others do the same? Today, Betsy is an inspirer of many with an official ACE Health and Wellness Coach Certification to back it up. And I could not be more excited to have her here today on Satiate. And welcome, Betsy. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. What a gift to have you here. Thank you, Sue. That was a heck of an introduction. Um, and I'm <laughs> excited to finally meet you as face-to-face as COVID would allow. It's really nice to meet you. 
It's so nice to meet you too. So let's talk a little bit about you. I am so inspired by your story. And I know there is probably just a lot of different facets that have happened for you and that have been teachers for you and been obstacles for you. And I am just so curious to hear what, where all this came from and how all this started for you in your life and the journey that you've been through. Um, a lot of times journeys begin kind of on the feet of tragedy in some ways. Uh, not for everybody. For me, it was kind of a bit of a delayed start, but I had been overweight. I don't remember not being overweight. And I was always told I was a big baby and I always wore husky clothes and was always a, a big kid. And in 2010, my mom passed away. And at that point I was 400 pounds insulin dependent. Um, you know, just really beholden to the healthcare system for that, holding that quality of life that now I don't believe I ever thought was acceptable. Um, but my mom passed away in 2010 and I remembered watching everything that was happening around us in the hospital. And I remember thinking that the best way to live a fulfilled life is to avoid having to be in our healthcare system. And I remembered thinking I was seeing a lot of doctors who were doing a lot of tests and I was on a lot of prescriptions. I was on, you know, three or two injections, one of them twice a day and um, five other medications just to kind of hold things steady. And so after my mom died, I kind of had this epiphany of like, do you want to survive life or do you want to live life? And it was kind of that rolling epiphany that in July of 2011, I just woke up one morning and it was literally like you had flipped the switch on the wall. I just decided I wanted to do things differently. I wanted life to be different. I wanted to climb the mountains, not fly over the top of them. I wanted to, I wanted to know what it was like to be healthy and active and not rely on doctors. Um, and I, so I started this journey not knowing what in the heck I was going to do, except that I had to do something. Um, a lot of times, um, I would fall into the, I, I have a lot of times in my life have fallen into the trap of being a perfectionist. If I can't do it perfectly right first time out of the gate, not going to do it at all. And yet with this, I seem to have so much grace for myself that I was going to learn and it was not going to be linear. And that I was part of this was just figuring out what didn't work as well as it was figuring out what would work. Um, and I didn't start trying to lose weight. I actually wanted off insulin. The whole goal at the very beginning was just get off medicine, just get off insulin. Um, but that snowballed and I pretty quickly figured out that things like lifting weights help your muscle uptake insulin. They, they, they help your body function more in a more metabolically healthy way. And I learned that I actually like drinking water and going for walks and signing up for little 5Ks and meeting other people. And it just began to snowball into a completely different lifestyle than I ever would have had. Definitely not linear, definitely not easy. Like try finding a sports bra in a 48 triple D, you know, and yet you're out trying to move in size 5X men's clothing because 
the sportswear industry doesn't isn't catering to people that large that want to move. So I definitely had plenty of obstacles in the beginning. And usually that kind of stuff would stop me in my tracks. And yet for some reason this time I saw it as like, well, fine, I'm going to figure it out then. And uh, mm -hmm. fast forward to now and I've, you know, I've, I'm, I'm off of all medicine. I do wear a continuous glucose monitor to help me stay off medicine. It helps mm. me figure out what my blood sugar is doing. It's a fantastic little tool. I take supplements. I, I run, I lift weights. I, I sit on a spin cycle two to three days a week, depending on whatever else I have going on. Like, like later and well, actually it's next week. I'm going to run a self-supported 52 K just because I was training for a 50 K and COVID canceled it. So I'm going to go out and do my own thing. And the, the me of 400 pounds couldn't have envisioned the me living this like active lifestyle today. Um, but I do want to emphasize like it was not linear and there were some really painful learning bumps along the way. And for whatever reason, I, I fought through them. I didn't let them stop me. And typically I'm the kind of person where that stuff would stop me. So I still don't have a clear explanation on why necessarily, except that the bigger goal was one I was so excited about that I just kept navigating towards it. Mm. I love hearing from you because I just know that it is not a linear journey, the path of healing in many different, for many different people in many different ailments, many different struggles. And I'm just, it's just so amazing to me that you could make that decision so clear and then follow through to where you are today. And I'm not saying that there wasn't obstacles, there wasn't backwards steps, I'm sure. But I'm so curious, like in that process of making that decision and in those first days and weeks after that morning when the flip of the light switch happened, what, 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 was, what was next? Um, grit and fear. Um, you know, I, I had reached a point where, the, the only way I know how to explain it is I had reached a point where the fear of the unknown and the fear of the work that was in front of me was less than the fear of dying. Like I literally felt like I was being chased by some, I, I was being chased by something that really just wanted to kill me. Um, a slow, torturous death. And so my motivation in the beginning was, you know, behavior change specialists would tell you it's probably not optimal because it was a dose of fear that prompted it. But I started seeing results and the results became the reward. And then the reward became way greater than the fear and it was just this spectrum of change where I went from like, I really don't want to die in a hospital because they've cut all my body parts off and my body won't heal because my glucose is out of control to, I really want to climb up that mountain and see what it's all about. You know, mm -hmm. I've always looked at it as I drove by, now I want to climb it. And so it was just the shifting priority from fear to reward to understanding that the rewards were way greater than anything I had been worried about. Now, I know that I'm not entirely answering your question and I get asked that question all the time. And it was so internal, like nobody could have read me a book or lectured me or cajoled me. It was all this internal dialogue of like, no, you wanna live a life where you're not ashamed and afraid and you really wanna experience things. It was very, very, very internal. 
Um, I work with people all the time who will tell me, you know, I'm really afraid and I just can't make the switch. And boy, those are really long conversations because you don't, that it has to come from inside. I, you know, I, yeah. Like whatever it is that we're facing, can we do the work to move forward? And obviously for you, that looked like a really big metaphorical mountain in the beginning and then step by step, you got closer and closer to where you wanted to be, to where you are today, which is in a place that seems to be a lot more in balance and you're running and you're taking care of yourself and you're monitoring your blood sugar. And not only that, you're sharing your story and inspiring so many other people on their journeys, which is such a gift because there's just so many people that are stuck in various ways in our lives um, where inspiration and that kind of being cheered along is so valuable in healing. A question I have for you is what were some changes you made, like some specific changes you made in your daily lifestyle that made it possible for you to reverse the diabetes and lose the weight? Um, I would say the two right off the top of the bat was, were, um, that I became very familiar with a, um, a nutrition label and I began to understand serving sizes and ingredients. And I didn't realize how many, um, you know, I, I was full blown type two diabetic on 72 units of long acting insulin. I was on 2000 milligrams of metformin. Those are all blood sugar on some level, they're, they're blood sugar meds. And um, I was eating sugar. Like I, it, it, it's like throwing gasoline on a fire and not understanding why it's not going out for, I, I'm, I'm called, I, I love the phrase, like I'm metabolically dysfunctional. Like I have a metabolic disorder, even having gotten off all the medicine, I still have to kind of be careful about what I put into my body. But early on, I had no cognizant awareness. Like I would love to tell you that, you know, I graduated with, a college degree, but nutrition was never part of it. You, you ate what you wanted when you wanted. And you know, all of a sudden I'm reading labels and going, there's 52 plus names for sugar. Okay. That's interesting. And I need to be an aware consumer of what I'm putting into my body. Um, and then the second thing for me was just activity, which, you know, is partnered when you're 400 pounds, it's, you're dealing with shame, you're dealing with physical, um, I'm going to say limitations. Like early on, I couldn't, I had so much body fat, I couldn't reach a shoe to tie it. So I'm trying to do activity with slip-on shoes. Mm. Um, you know, you can't find a sports bra, but I could put on slip-on shoes and walk up and down the driveway a few times. And it, I mean, it started so ridiculously small but I would say activity and learning about food components, learning about ingredients, learning about kind of trying to pick things that didn't have to have a food label as the primary thing I was gonna eat um, was, those were two things I started right off the bat, man, were they painful and steep learning curves, but they continue to be the foundation that I go back to. If I, you know, I'm perimenopausal and menopause is just a freaking nightmare things aren't going well. If I go back to the basics of activity and knowing what I'm putting into my body, 
I can usually get to some kind of balance or health or understanding much quicker than any other magic bullet or fancy anything. It's usually mm. walk more and know what in the heck you're eating. For me, maybe throw in some water just to, but like water activity and knowing how to read a food label were huge right off the bat. Wow. I bet. And how amazing that you could see the marriage of all three of those things and how they all can really support each other in the greater good of your own health and vitality. I'm so curious to know, you know, what was it like seeing the progress happen and the results happen over time? Like, was it, were you excited? Were you nervous? Were you everything under the sun? Because I'm sure it didn't take long and you started seeing weight fall away, your blood sugar stabilize, maybe your insulin medication, not having to be at such a high dosage. And what was all of that like for you? So um, those are actually really good questions. The one that I is probably um, the hardest to answer is the, the weight loss, I probably lost 60 pounds before I was aware that I had lost any weight whatsoever because the goal was to get off insulin. So my entire objective was how do I stop taking these, these meds? And um, I would say that my first awareness, I would say that there was a whole lot of fear in the beginning because we were trying to walk off, we were trying to back off insulin a few increments at a time. Um, and it wasn't going smoothly. Like in the middle of it all, I got walking pneumonia, which jacks with your cortisol, which jacks with your insulin. And all of a sudden I had to onboard more insulin. Um, and then I would have times where I would do something and I could drop six units instead of three units. And so but there was this fear that I was going to back off all the insulin, but then not be able to get off any of the other meds because I had done so much damage to my internal organs and my body that reversing it was not anything we ever talked about at first. The first conversations I had with the healthcare team were, can you make some lifestyle changes to reduce the pharmacological load? Like, can we just get you on less medicine? That was the first goal. And as that began to happen, I started hearing reverse <laughs> can we reverse this like and then it was like i was all in with like yeah let's reverse this let's get rid of it let's abolish it let's kiss it goodbye um but the weight loss was really a byproduct it was never a driving objective and i didn't really notice it till i went to go i went to go do something one day and literally my pants fell off and i went huh okay I wasn't paying attention to it. And honestly, when you're that heavy, you have to lose a lot of weight before anybody, you've got to lose 20, 30, 40 pounds before anybody goes, are you doing something different? Have you colored your hair? And you're like, no, I've lost 40 pounds. And the way clothes are cut, you might even still be in the same size clothing category with that much weight loss when you're that heavy. But the going off the insulin was very frightening. And then when I actually bolused off, like took my last bolus and went off insulin, there was a, a huge concern within the healthcare team that I was working with that I could sustain the lifestyle changes to keep me off the medicine or how was my body going to respond. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm really lucky that the diabetic 
insults that occurred to my body are actually fairly minor. Like I have a lot of gum issues and teeth issues, but it didn't attack my eyes or my kidneys. I didn't lose any limbs. Like I, I got really lucky. Um, but there was a whole lot of fear driving that, like stepping down every time, would I have to bounce back up or stepping off? Could I stay off that medicine? And could all the changes that needed to happen were then on me? They weren't on a, an injection or a pill. Like, could I maintain it? So, um, and then, you know, a year after being off insulin, it was a point of pride of like, I can do this and it's a lot of work, but I have to keep doing this because like, I'm fine never seeing my doctors again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I understand. There's a couple questions I'm so curious about um, because I know for people listening and people struggling in various ways, whatever they are, that there is such a huge mental component. And often in my work and in the women that I support and in my own journey, you know, it, it comes down to so much around the way we talk to ourselves, the way that we relate to ourselves, um, negative self-talk, negative body image, and those can become such big obstacles in a path of healing. And I'm just so curious, what was, what was going on for you mentally in your mind? Like, what were some of the ways that you managed through the many different variations of self-talk that could be either furthering you or hindering you in your process? So, um, that's a really loaded question. You know that, right? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So um, I, I don't have a nice dialogue in my head and I've spent the last eight years working with therapists, reading books, like doing everything I can to learn to be a little bit kinder to myself. And I would say it's only since I, I'm going to be 52 next week and it's in my fifties. I was like, I'd heard a really like cliche saying, and it was always like intellectually, I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I understand that. That's great. Somehow when I turned 50, I was like, whoa, that's actually really deep knowledge and I need to pay attention to it. And the comment or the, the meme or the saying was like, don't talk to yourself the way you wouldn't talk to a friend or phrased differently. You wouldn't talk to a friend the way you talk to yourself. And all of a sudden it clicked. Like I'm pretty freaking mean to myself. Like every comment is about unlovable, unworthy, fat, shameful, like I have four plus decades of that information rolling around my head about, you know, being bullied from when I was a little kid until I started this process. And even in starting this process, you know, it was about getting off of medicine. It wasn't about weight loss. And I think part of that's I was avoiding the whole, I was avoiding having to look at my body. I was avoiding having to interact with my body because it was a fat, lumpy, shameful thing that had been in the way my entire life. And so the process, I, you know, I'd wake up to it a little bit and work on therapy and get a little more excited about wearing athletic clothing and being seen. And then something would happen to create some kind of a setback. And even when I could do really truly remarkable things like finishing a hundred miler it was always with the tagline of for a fat girl for a fat girl um that was my biggest critic 
I was horrible to myself. Like I wouldn't be friends with somebody like me if that was the crap spewing out of my mouth. Um, and along the way I discovered, and I'm sure you, you're familiar with her work as is almost everybody I talk to and it's the work of Brene Brown. Um, and her, her work around vulnerability and shame. And she basically said, if you're the one who brings it to the light, nobody can hold it against you. Like it, you can't be shamed by it. And I remember thinking, eh, that's a really cute idea. It doesn't apply. Um, and when I began to really dig into her work, it was pretty groundbreaking around shame and vulnerability and belonging and acceptance. And, you know, I realized I'd go on a trail run and I'd get so frustrated because people would have to wait for me. And it was always the, with, for the fat girl, they're waiting for the fat girl. Um, one day what clicked was, no, they're my friends and they're waiting for me. So I don't take the left instead of the right. And we all get back to the cars and I'm not there. Like they care about me or they wouldn't be out here. And it was kind of this just lightning bolt moment of like, no, you, you matter, you belong, be nicer to yourself. And then it was just literally Sue sitting with a therapist who said, when you have a negative thought, we're going to counteract it with a good one. And you're going to be exhausted by the end of the day, but we need to start getting you in that pattern. And it's just years now it's, you know, multiple years long of catching myself and saying, well, that's not very nice. Let's try reframing that. Or do you have a valid complaint? And if you do, what are you doing about it? And so um, I would say it was kind of hating myself, stumbling into the right thing, finding a good therapist and just kind of melding that together. And like I said, when you and I were chatting before we got on the air with the podcast, like I'm still very much a work in progress, but at least, you know, I, I enjoy the work now. <laughs> and aren't we all a work in progress, Betsy? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Um, on that same note, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned your running, which is so impressive and dedicated and strong and I'm just I'm blown away by your you know commitment to that and I'm just curious what's your relationship with running like these days so I've had a couple of years of like injuries and health setbacks I would call them I am I had a hamstring attachment tear from too much running and not paying attention um, and then a year ago, I wrecked a bike and shattered a clavicle and got a class four concussion. And I've been recovering from that. And I'm perimenopausal, which just throws everything all up in the air. And so my relationship from running with running, uh, you know, early on, I have to admit was very punitive and early on was very much to hide binge eating disorder. If you run long miles, you get to eat huge amounts of food and nobody's going to question you. It was like the perfect foil. So then I had to take a break from running for a while to really figure out, do you like running? Are you healing your eating disorder? What's going on? What, what are we doing about it? And I would say in the last year, running has become cathartic and it has become a companion. And I once again have the joy. If I go out to go run and I'm not feeling it, I hike and I look and I take pictures and I pick up lizards or whatever. And if I'm feeling like I wanna run, I go run. Um, but it's no longer to manage my insulin. It's no longer to hide binge eating disorder. And I had to work through all of that. And man, it was messy as hell. Um, because, you, you know, you have to have the reckoning that you're actually think you're using a tool when in actuality, you've let it become a weapon. Um, 
And so I've had this really, you know, it's, I've had a very organic relationship with running. I've loved it. I've hated it. I've used it as a weapon. I've used it as a tool. And right now it's just a companion. It's just something I, I enjoy the people and the scenery and the movement. And I'm just not attaching a whole lot of outcomes to it other than, are you enjoying it? And mm. that's, that's made a huge difference in my relationship with running. And when I say run, I can mean hike, I can mean stroll, I can mean obstacle courses. Like I just, I'm just trying to be out and be active. So wow. I love that because I do think that just about anything in our lives, anything could be a crutch, could be for the greater good. It's like too much of a good thing isn't really that good sometimes. And it's interesting to hear how it's transformed really along with you, which is the beauty in doing the inner work when we are in process. And that's one of the things I'm really appreciating about what you're sharing today is just this level of awareness and inner work that is not just going through the motions. It's not just, you know, having um, externalized goal, but it really is full holistic mind, body, soul type of experience in your journey. And with that, oh, the human consciousness is so complicated and so complex. And I think for me, listening to your story, I can so relate to all the different intricacies that you're describing. I'm also really curious as far as what people are take can take away from this. Like, can you share with us like some of the um, tools or some of the foods or some of the different practices that you integrated into your into your healing journey along the way that may inspire or support other people in theirs yeah i um i really i try to focus on keeping the bigger picture in frame which for me is i just really would like to forestall becoming type 2 diabetic um again for as long as possible the you know probability is it's probably going to rear its ugly head but the healthier i can stay for longer periods of time and the more i understand about managing it the better off i'm going to be so focusing on like a big goal um early on in the in here it was i never focused on weight but it was like can i get my insulin down or can i sign up for a 5k like i just tried to keep goals to, to try to have something to navigate towards that wasn't about just being self-motivated. It was like, no, you spent money, you signed up for it, you gotta go. Um, so that was um, super helpful. Food for me is, you know, I, what I've discovered is for everybody, it's, it's one of the more personal relationships we actually have because food's never just about food. It's almost always about relationship or punishment or reward or elation or celebration. And there, there's always something tied to it. And so for me, it was never about the food. It was always about just gut checking what the, what the motivation was. Is it about fueling so that I can be um, active, as active as I want to be during the day? Or am I eating because I don't want to deal with emotional baggage that's sitting in the corner screaming at me? Like what, what's the motivation? So like certain foods, you know, I always kind of early on in the diabetic journey, I always kept apples at the forefront of my fridge. And the rule I had with myself was, if you're hungry enough to eat an apple, eat an apple. And if you're not hungry enough to eat an apple, you got to investigate the motive because you're probably not hungry. 
And it wasn't so much that it was apples. It's that it was a stop check when I'd open the fridge, you know, I'd have something to look at and be like, are you really hungry? Or did somebody say something that hurt your feelings? Um, so um, those types of tools were big and boy, you know, people would suggest them and I would, they wouldn't apply. And then down the road, I'd pick it up and think, well, they actually had a really good suggestion and I'm ready for it. Like I'm ready to try it and implement it. Um, and then just being honest with people, you know, I, I hid so much for so long. So to actually have conversations with people about what I was doing or why I was doing it were, were huge, but I picked that handful of people carefully and I gave them permission to interact with me on that level. And everybody else I just chose not to listen to because there were people in my life who wanted to give me critique or opinion and I wasn't ready for it. So those probably aren't exactly what you were looking for, but that's pretty much where I, I had a close knit group of people who understood what I was doing. I had a few stop checks to make me rethink and reframe. Um, and then I always tried to keep a goal out there, just like move more or it was never about weight and it was never about size. It was always about belonging and motivation and end goal type of type of stuff. Absolutely. And I do think that um, sometimes we look to these external tools and sometimes they can be helpful. But what you're saying really is that you created sort of like resource, inner resourcing for yourself. And these, these like apples reminded you of something to do, to check in with yourself, to check yourself, to pause. And those are actually, I think, even more effective and more um, powerful than, you know, not than a certain brand of cashews, for example, <laughs> even though they both could help. There is definitely the inner resourcing is the most powerful place to rewire ourselves and to reset the way that we're um, dealing with the stimulus, whether it's food or exercise or lethargy or resting or all of the different things that we can do that can either further us down our path or create obstacles in our path. So it wasn't the answer that I was expecting, but it's, it's, it's the perfect answer for, for this conversation. And I just really appreciate your vulnerability and your authentic side being just really transparent with that. So I do think it's helpful. And I am really um, just so blown away by this journey of yours. And I'm also really curious, tell us a little bit more about the glucose monitoring that you're doing. Just because I, as a nutritionist, I spend so much time talking about blood sugar and I spend so much time creating a foundation for people that is a stable blood sugar zone where not only do we increase our metabolism and build energy and stabilize our brain chemistry, but there is like literally we're preventing long-term problems, degenerative disease of many, many kinds. And yeah. I think that what you're saying about how you're still really, really focused on that is, um, and that that's kind of a, a way for you to keep on track. I think that's a profound tool. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Thank you. The, the glucose monitor, um, I was able to reverse type two diabetes and get a normal A1C through what I would call pretty traditional protocols. So I went to the doctor and they went, your A1C, um, and the A1C is for listeners that, 
and I'm, Sue, you're probably gonna have to correct me on this one, but the A1C is the long-term measurement of glucose control. It measures like a three-month window of how well are you measuring your glucose. And so it's a, a numerical statistic that tells me glucose management. So when I, and your glucose, I don't know what the A1C numbers are right now, but like 5.5 to 7.0 is kind of where they want you. Roughly, when I was diagnosed, I was 11.8 or 11.9. I, I, I need to pull those records, which meant that my daily blood glucose was through the freaking roof. So um, I was able to get off medicine, reverse type 2, and get a normal A1C, like so normal that, that the insurance company sent a letter to my doctor and said, this patient is healthy. Why are you seeing her so often? Like, you need to stop interacting with this patient. So, um, which was actually a very proud moment <laughs> to be, you know, kicked out of the doctor's office because you're too healthy. Um, sure. but in the past two years with the bike rack and um, menopause, menopause is hormone, insulin is hormone, like they're all connected. I was doing all the same stuff and not getting the same results. And I couldn't quite figure it out. Went to an endocrinologist and they basically said, you're healthy, you're fine but I knew that the A1C was very slowly climbing up and I was becoming alarmed because statistically I'm not diabetic by their books, but by my book, I knew I was going in the wrong direction and I was doing everything I knew how to do and nothing was working. So, um, and panic really helps blood sugar too, sarcastically. So, you know, I have everything kind of going in the wrong direction and I can't figure it out. There is a trail runner who is, um, I have met through social media. He is a family practice doc in West Virginia. Um, he himself is also diabetic and he and I would interact every once in a while on something on Facebook. We would wind up interacting and we'd have very similar comments about blood glucose and running and that sort of stuff. Long story short, I reached out to him and said, these endocrinologists and doctors are not taking me seriously. I used to be type two. I'm worried because my numbers are going in the wrong direction. Nothing I'm doing is working. I'm scared to death. I'm going to be type two again in a matter of two years because I can't get anybody to be upset with me. And he was like, let's put a continuous glucose monitor on you. So I wear a freestyle Libra, which is a continuous glucose monitor. I self-replace every two weeks. It goes on the back of my arm. It's a little tiny disc, a little bit bigger than a quarter. It attaches to an app on, or it's, a, it's aligned with an app on my phone. I can scan my phone over the disc and get an instant blood sugar reading. And it'll read those blood sugars for 24 seven for two weeks. And then I replace it and stick it on the other arm. What that has done is it gives me instant feedback on what I'm eating, what I'm stressing about, how much activity I have. It can even tell me like, you're just not really getting enough sleep. I mean, I've been able to kind of self-diagnose what in the heck is going on, which also means I can self-correct. And it also means I'm not demonizing or villainizing certain food groups. Like you can never eat this or you can never do that. All of a sudden, I have this little device on my body that says, hey, hang on a minute, don't throw the baby in the bathwater out. There are exceptions to this. Perhaps it's timing, perhaps it's quantity, perhaps it's you know an ingredient. And so it's been huge. I can't even imagine early in my journey where I had to just set entire food groups to the side as bad 
now I can kind of pick and choose and watch how my body reacts, get pretty instant feedback and make different decisions. And it, it is absolutely life-changing. The only glitch with it, and I, I, in fairness, would have to throw this out for your readers or your listeners, is like, because I'm not diabetic, my insurance doesn't want to cover it. And so I am paying for it out of pocket because a, um, like, I don't necessarily have the luxury of affording it, but I don't have the luxury of not having that, that information at my fingertips because I'm metabolically deranged. I, you know, I have to keep an eye on those things and things that bother me don't bother other people. Like, you know, I can eat certain foods and all of a sudden my blood sugar spikes and stays high, which tells me it's probably not a food I want to eat a whole lot of. Um, and I didn't have that information when I was trying to get off, uh, off meds the first time around. It was like, just stop eating all of these categories of foods. And, and now it's way more nuanced. Um, yeah, the information is just hugely valuable. What an amazing tool and what an amazing investment. I mean, I think that sometimes we have to go for it with investing in something, even if it's pushing us a little bit to have that information firsthand is so valuable and what a great way to like be reminded on a daily basis that you have control by what you choose to eat and i just think that is such a gift and i'd love to know you know the details on that device so i can share it with people i'll put it in the uh in the show notes for us well it'll also show um stress spikes um, where I have done nothing and all of a sudden my blood sugar shoots up because I'm in a stressful situation, which is also a helpful reminder that your body's like, it's not just about food. It, it's about everything else interacting. Um, do you have many patients using the glucose monitor? Is it still fairly new? I have a few. Yeah, I have a few. But I think that what you're saying is that you could use this long term. And I think that's where um, people might not know that they can have that option and it's such a great option to have such a great checkpoint. And I totally agree with you. Our hormones are so interconnected, including our stress hormones, including our reproductive hormones and everything really plays so intricately together like a domino effect. And in the meantime, many of us are taught that our reproductive hormones live over here and our stress hormones live over here and our insulin lives in our, you know, in our digestion. And there's just way more of a relationship between the endocrine system and its complexity than most of us even realize. So I'm, I'm really glad you touched on that. I really I'm, wish I would have had you at the beginning of this journey because <laughs> I didn't have anybody that could explain that. Like I didn't have anybody that was encouraging that kind of thinking. Like we, I could have used you eight years ago, Sue. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we met after hearing for a, you know about your story and about you for so long. It's been it's been wonderful to actually come face to face and and be able to chat with you. And I feel like this is probably, let's call this part one of our <laughs> podcast conversation because I clearly could go on and on with you for hours. And I'd love to have you back for part two sometime soon to do a little bit more on this. Um, one thing I wanted to share with the listeners is your book, which I have a copy of and I'm excited. I've been reading it and I'm really excited about it. All bets are off. My journey of losing 200 pounds 
A Showdown with Diabetes and Falling in Love with Running by Betsy Hartley. What a gift. And when was this book published? It was published uh, about 13 months ago. Oh, so fairly recently. Great. Okay. Yeah. It's still well, weird to see my book in somebody else's hands. It's still a thrill. Yeah. Well, it's a thrill for me to have it in my hands. So I'm super excited to get through the whole thing. And I've just gotten through some of it so far. But um, your story is just so mind-blowing and, and amazing. And it's such an honor to have you here today. I just want to be able to tell our listeners where they can find you specifically. So tell us your go-to contacts and information here. Website, whatever you want to share. Yeah, so I... Um... I would say I've taken a little hiatus from social media, but I'm still active on Facebook and Instagram, Betsy Hartley, um, fairly easy to find. I do have, um, you said in the introduction, I am in business with um, another, uh, another, one of my friends, Spencer Newell and I started a business together to do health coaching. And that website is um, Novo hyphen, actually it's Novo underscore Veritas. It's N-O-V-O underscore V-E-R-O. I-T-A-S. Um, all of our contact information is on there as well. Um, I'll respond to text messages and emails because I, I understand the people reaching out need the kind of help I needed when I started, which is why we started the whole business was just to be those resources. But I would say Facebook, Instagram, or um, our company website, I want any of those places. I'll respond as quick as I can. Um, where can we find your book? Is it available online, on Amazon, at bookstores? Where can we find it for people who are interested? Amazon. I self-published, and so you're going to enter All Bets Are Off, and you're going to get my book and a gambling book. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer you pick mine, but I did self-publish. They manage the inventory and all that good stuff um, for me so that I'm not trying to mail books out of my garage or something, because I actually have a full-time job that isn't the book or you know, my lifestyle changes. And so um, I'm letting them manage that whole thing for me. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here today, Betsy. I so look forward to staying in touch with you and to more collaborations in the future. Absolutely. So great to meet you, Sue. Finally. So great. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this very special episode of Satiate Today. Until next time, I'm sending you my heartfelt support in cultivating all the health and happiness that you so deserve. Thank you so much for being part of the Boulder Nutrition community. Take good care.